Mothers deserve the absolute best. So this Mother's Day, spoil the moms in your life with little luxuries from Osea. Osea's skin and body care is the perfect way to remind all the moms, mother figures, caregivers, grandmothers, and mother-in-laws in your life to make time for themselves. If you have been looking for the perfect gift, I recommend Osea's Andaria Algae Body Oil. I've been using it for years and it seems like every single time I apply it, I get compliments on my skin. This body oil is rich, but it's never greasy and it's clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity. Your skin will feel more sculpted and toned and you'll be left feeling silky, soft and glowing. Another favorite of mine is the Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Ever since I've been using collagen, I have noticed a difference in my skin. In fact, it's never been better. Using Osea's body oil and lotion together is a mega moisture duo, giving you a full body glow. Osea's products are infused with our signature Andaria seaweed, but it's also clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Really just a perfect gift for yourself, the moms in your life, and even the planet. Spoil the moms in your life with clean, vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code YOGA at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. Hi, and welcome to another episode of From the Heart Conversations with Yoga Girl. This week, I have a super exciting guest and very talented artist on the show, Chris Burkhardt. Chris is a self-taught photographer, creative director, author, speaker, and world explorer from California who's gained huge recognition through the past years for his amazing ability to capture awe-inspiring beauty of nature. Known for his surf photography and travels to the most remote parts of the world, you've probably seen Chris's work on the cover of magazines, or you might be one of the millions of people who already follow him in social media. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. I really appreciate it. I'm so psyched to be here. It's a, it's a kind of a long time coming, you know, it's, it's funny, you and I have crossed paths in, in a lot of different ways over the years. And, and this is super cool to, to finally be able to connect with you like this. I know, it's so much fun. You know, actually, I have a, one of uh, my yoga teachers here at the studio that we have in Aruba. Is, she's told me, uh, in her own words, your biggest fan in the entire world. Um, she's out, outside this door right now, like peeing her pants that you're on the show. She's so excited. <laughs> and when I put it out in social media that you were coming on the show, I just literally got thousands of emails and messages from people. You know, they're so excited. It's, it's a really cool thing to have you on the show. Yeah, well, it's, it's, you know, I've been, I had the chance to uh, check out a couple of the podcasts and I just, I really love how you've transitioned your work into obviously being an excellent yoga teacher and, and such a, you know, just a mindful steward, you know, of, of, um, of, of yoga, but also just the conversations are really heartfelt and <laughs> it's funny to say that and, and really thought provoking. And I, I just, I love that. I love how you've kind of been able to, to, be such an entrepreneur in that field. It's, it's been really cool. You know, the last time I saw you was in Pismo Beach at a, at a um, yoga workshop, and, and I was also blown away with just how What how year good, was that? That was a long time ago. That was like three years ago, I think, or something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's funny because, yeah, we have an interesting history. So my first ever 200-hour yoga teacher training I did together with your wife. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really, small it's a, such a small world. Yeah. And I feel like right around then, I mean, this was three, yeah, three, three years ago. What was, 
I don't even remember talking to you about photography <laughs> or anything. I, honestly, like, I, I, don't I even... know, I know. But but it was cool, you know. It's like, I I loved that um, that workshop you taught. It was an immersion workshop, and and I gained so much knowledge from it. It was just uh, it was I mean it was packed. Everybody was so stoked, and the energy was really high, and it was really fun. So that was yeah, that was so exciting. Fun. I keep. Yeah. I keep telling Bree, you guys have to take the family and come visit us in Aruba next, since we saw you in California. I, I would, I would love to. It's, it's my dream to kind of get my two boys out and uh, and explore um, a bit more of like you know a bit more of the world. So that's that's on my list. A bit more of the world. Well, you do a kind yeah. of a lot of exploring of the world already. <laughs> so for anyone who yeah, doesn't well, know, say anyone listening who maybe yeah. doesn't know who you are, I mean, you're you're a photographer. You travel the world taking pictures for a living. I mean, it's, it's a dream gig. How did you get started? That's a great question. So I, I grew up in this small town in central California. And, um, you know, when I, when I was young, all I really wanted to do was leave this small town. I, you know, I, to anybody out there who's ever kind of been in that situation, you know, the feeling of, of, um, of feeling a little trapped. Right. And so I didn't, I didn't grow up with a passport, never traveled anywhere. I uh, did a lot of art in high school, and, and what I realized is that I wanted something a little more immersive. I wanted, like, something that was, like, going to be, uh, allow me to be creative, but out in the field. And so I, I did a lot of drawing, did a lot of, you know, and I was stuck on the hillside somewhere in a studio, and I picked up a camera from my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, um, her mom, and I just was, like, blown away. I was like, this is this creative endeavor that can take me out in the field and out, and it can, it can be my passport to the world, you know, and I, I, to be totally honest, I got started in photography for purely selfish reasons. I just wanted to fill my passport um, and collect a paycheck, and, it, and it, it really evolved from there. Do you remember the first thing you ever, you know, took a real picture of, like the first thing you ever went out and shot? <laughs> I think that one of the first things I took a real picture of was probably, um, you know, like a still life, um, or, or something like really simple, like just a beach landscape. And, and I, I, I think that those were some of my first photographs was literally driving up the coast in California, um, going to, to go surfing and, and just taking pictures of the waves. And it was kind of the ocean was like my first muse. It was like my first canvas, so to say. And it's still to this day, like the thing that I truly love photographing most because it's ever-changing you think that's it it's always I mean yeah. every time you take a photo of the ocean it's always different I think that you never see it in the same light twice and, it, and it's it, to me like I think some people see the ocean and it, and it almost makes them feel um, a little like nervous because it's such a big it's, it's so big and it's, it almost creates a barrier but like as I've gotten older and as I've gotten more comfortable and as I've really been taught a lot of things from the ocean, I've just realized how, like, what an amazing teacher it is, you know? Like, it hum it's humbled me many times in my life. It's made me realize how weak I am, and it's, it's also shown me some of the best times I've ever had, you know? And, and um, like, sharing my love of the ocean with my family or with other people has been, uh, it's brought me a lot of joy. And, um, I, but, you know, but at the same time, I have this, like, deep respect for it. Like, it makes me feel very scared at times. Um, so I, I guess I just love that kind of relationship that I have. It's not cut and dry, you know. It's like yoga. Like the the more you do it, the the more you realize how little you know about it, how how <laughs> yes. much you have to learn. Like I I did a teacher training and I was like 
I left feeling like, wow, I, I know nothing about this at all. Like I, I'm, you know, I'm like a child. So that's kind of how I feel around the ocean, you know? I mean, it's very, very humbling. I never grew up around ocean, so I, I, I've always had this kind of hesitant, not a big fear, but I'm always a little, yeah, very respectful toward, toward the ocean. I'm not one of those natural water people who's just always surfing or always in the water. Um, yeah. my, my husband is, though, and he, I, I don't know, he has respect for the ocean, but I'm always a little worried that, you know, he's going to do something kind of in, insane and stupid. Because I feel like people that grow <laughs> up in the ocean, they start thinking, you know, that, oh, this is so easy. I just live here, you know? And right. I don't know. It's healthy to have a, a, a good dose of respect, <laughs> I think. I, you know, I I'm, I'm totally agree with you. It's, um, it's, uh, it's crazy because I, I have those experiences, too, where you, you, you get that level of, uh, like, of kind of security, and all of a sudden it just it just puts you right back in your place. And, and that's kind of what happens. Sometimes uh, growing up around something creates a false sense of security, um, and, and I feel that sometimes too, but that's, that's what I love about it. I love it. It's a constant teacher. Um, it's a constant source of inspiration too. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's something that we all kind of are, are still just trying to evolve and learn what our relationship with the ocean really is about. So that was a really, I mean, easy transition for you into surf photography since you grew up, grew up by the ocean. Was that how you really got started? When, when was that, I guess, when I'm, yeah, when was the moment that you realized that this is something that you actually might be able to do for a living, you know, more than just a passion or a hobby? It's a funny one because people ask me all the time, like, what was your big break? What, what was the moment you knew this is what you wanted to do? And, and I, I tell people, I'm like, I'm like, sadly, you know, there, there was never a big break. There was never a, a, a moment where everything felt like it was good and I was secure. And, you know, to be honest, like, I have, you know, I moved into my car at 19 years old to pursue photography. It was a complete and total Hail Mary. I quit my job, I quit school, and I lived like, you know, at poverty level for a period of time so that I could kind of make ends meet. And I would shoot literally anything. Like, I would have shot, you know, uh, any, anything that anyone would have offered me. So I guess I felt like that has always sort of been something that I've, I've considered is like, you know, I, I don't want a job that I'm not willing to sacrifice for. And, um, I, I guess I felt really, um, I feel empowered by those experiences, those early childhood experiences. And it's not really something where I've, I've been able to find a time in my life where I've felt like, oh, this is the career path for me. Like it, it's taught me a lot and it's presented a lot of opportunities and it's brought me a lot of joy. And it's, it's, as long as it does that, I'm going to keep doing it. And most importantly, as long as it keeps challenging me, I'm going to keep doing that. But there was never a moment where I've had this like, oh, yeah, I know where the next paycheck's coming. Like, as a freelance photographer, um, much like, you know, yourself and the fact that, you know, as, you know, a yoga teacher or someone doing workshops, like, you don't know, you know, you don't really know if, if the, you know, <laughs> the next year is going to be a hard year or a good year or whatever. So I've kind of tried to, like, detach from that a little bit and detach from that experience. And, um, and then that idea that, like, I'm making it or I'm successful, because success should really be defined by how much joy your job brings you. Oh, definitely. So in, the, in those really early days when you said you would, you know, shoot absolutely anything, was there ever a moment yeah. where you felt like, oh, I'm paying my dues now, like you had to shoot something that you really oh didn't want to do? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've shot a lot of weddings. I've shot... I shot experiences where, like, I would, I would be, I mean, nothing wrong with weddings. I love, I love shooting weddings. I'm just not the person, I'm not the patient person for that. 
I shot a lot of things where like nowadays I wouldn't even wake up for it. You know, I would, I would go out and literally spend every dollar I had on, on gas and, and, you know, sketchy Mexican food to drive up and down the coast and chase swells and, and stuff. And there was even times where like I would find myself out on a jet ski in the middle of the ocean trying to shoot this big wave amidst really sharky waters and just, you know, scare myself out of my mind. It was terrifying. Um, oh, and, you know, there's moments where I, I felt like emotionally scarred from it, but I was like, okay, this is, this is what it's supposed to be. You know, this is how it's supposed to happen and, and it'll all get better. And, and I, you know, it obviously eventually did get better, but, um, but it, yeah, I really paid my dues. I mean, especially like more of like my living situation, you know, like I remember I quit my job and I was working at this magazine store and the very next day I was back down in Pismo Beach, right where I grew up, right where I learned to surf. And I was like out on the pier trying to shoot pictures of random people surfing and then running up to them on the beach and trying to give them a CD of photos for like $20. Um, and that, you know, it was like, it was pitiful, right? But, but I, I guess I just, I, I love looking back at those early experiences because you, when you realize how far you've come, you realize how, how much you learn to struggle for something you love. I mean, there's something so beautiful about that. And I think everybody has to go through that period of also, you know, of a very humbling growth that you have to really fight for what you want. I, I can compare that to when I started teaching yoga and no one wanted to come to my class. And I was kind of you know, living in the middle of nowhere. No one knew what yoga was. And I printed these little flyers at this. I, I snuck into one of the hotels and I borrowed a printer and I printed these little flyers for my classes. And I would hassle people on the beach like, here's a flyer. Come to yoga class. Come to yoga. Yoga is great. You know, like a, like a crazy person hassling people while they were trying to enjoy their pina coladas on the beach. <laughs> but little I, by little, you know, that. it actually worked. <laughs> Like if someone came and then they came the next day and then little by little, I mean, it took a long time, but it, but it grew. So I, I like that's, that idea that so it's not just this make it or break it moment. You know, it's a big process. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that with careers and with life, it, there's never really truly that like make it or break it moment. You know, like I, I had a full career change or full, a full career shift about five or six years into my career where I was, I mean, by all means, people thought I had the dream job. You know, I was, and, and I did, you know, I was shooting surfing professionally, um, you know, for magazines. And I was traveling all over the world, these, you know, beautiful white sand beaches, you know, um, and, and photographing the best surfers and the best waves. And, and although that was amazing, and I really, I, I loved it, but I felt like there was a part of me that wasn't being fulfilled. And I think that a big part of that was that, you know, I grew up in these wide open spaces and places where there's dirt roads everywhere and there's farm fields. And I just, I had access to open beaches with not, not a lot of people. And I felt like very, very much like these touristy places where there was strong Wi-Fi and great food. And it was like the promise of adventure, but then you'd get there and you'd turn around and there'd be a high rise hotel. It wasn't, it wasn't what I was being sold. And so I, I ended up, gravitating towards colder climates, places that were more visceral for me because I had to give more of myself to be there, more planning, more time spent in harsh conditions. And it was, that was truly, um, that was like the total shift for me. And so work all of a sudden, it was like, finally, I had kind of made it. I had kind of like gotten where I wanted to be. And then I, I had to like start over. And I, I basically started the bottom and started to, go to these places that were just super, ch and, and a lot of scary experiences kind of resulted from that, you know, just stuff, you know, learn, like, you know, 
the growth process of learning and, and, and whatnot. So it was, it was kind of an eye Because you hadn't, you hadn't shot that type of photography, I mean, those types of conditions before, of course. Was that a whole yeah, new and, thing? And I, I mean, I've, I've seen your, totally. I've seen your, your movie and, and all of your yeah. under an Arctic sky. It's 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 so impressive. And just watching this, so for anyone listening who hasn't seen this, you can find it on Netflix. It's it's incredible. So you go to the coldest, I mean, the coldest parts of the world, shooting surf in the midst of snowstorms and ice storms and <laughs> freezing waters and the things you go through just to you know, capture that wave, it's, you, you almost have to question your sanity just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I agree. At times, it's, it's, at times, it's kind of a, it's an interesting one, because the reality is, like, we didn't, we, we didn't really seek out these places where, like, you know, it, it's, it's not like we're seeking out these places just because they're cold. It was because we knew that the potential for amazing surf was there. And we knew that, like, or I, I knew, you know, when I, was, when I was going to these warmer locations that if I was going to find good waves, it was probably going to be somewhere, like, near the poles where there wasn't a lot of people and it hadn't really been discovered and everything. So that was, that was kind of what drew me to those locations. But I guess I just, I never looked back, you know. I, I started to go to, like, you know, uh, Iceland and Norway and Alaska and the Faroe Islands and Russia and Patagonia and places like that. And I just... I guess what I found there was this beautiful isolation where there was these beaches and, and, and waves and, and, and really landscape that hadn't really had their story told. And I felt really empowered in some, in some way. Like that, that felt, made me feel really alive. And I guess sharing those experiences with people has made me feel really excited about my work. And, and hopefully the fact that, you know, many of these places are in need of protection and that this work could in some way... Um, be a testament to how special they are. And has there been a little bit of, uh, of movement now? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it must be. Are more people seeking out these types of surf spots now since you started sharing yeah. them with the world? I think so, absolutely. I feel like in many ways, um, yeah, people's eyes have been open to what's out there, you know, and, and cold water surfing isn't anything new, nor is it anything that's, you know, totally foreign these days. It's pretty commonplace. Um, but I guess... I just felt like maybe I played some role in like getting people out of their comfort zone and out of the safe and the routine and the familiar and the known to seek out a part of themselves that's a bit unknown. And that's, that's really like special. I feel like to, to be able to foster that has been like a, a truly like a life goal and just something that I, I feel like that's the higher calling. You know, we're always seeking, everybody's seeking for that higher calling in their work. You know, what, what is my purpose here? What purpose is to serve? And, to kind of come to that place where you're like, cool, like, I, I feel like this is why I was given this, you know, this talent or whatever it might be. Um, and that feels really, really special to me. So. You are listening to From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. Do you brush your teeth at least twice a day? Do you brush for at least two minutes each time? Brushing your teeth is one of those healthy habits that so many of us are doing wrong, but we don't even know it. Now you can easily step up your dental hygiene game with Quip. Quip has combined dentistry and design to make a better electric toothbrush. Quip is the new electric toothbrush that packs just the right amount of vibrations into a slimmer design and a fraction of the cost of bulkier traditional electric brushes. Guiding pulses alert you when to switch sides so you can relax on autopilot while your teeth get the best cleaning. 
Quip also comes with a mount that suctions to your mirror and unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel anywhere, whether it's going into your gym bag or into your carry-on. Because the thing that cleans your mouth should also be clean, Quip's subscription plan refreshes your brush on a dentist-recommended schedule, delivering new brush heads every three months for just $5, including free shipping worldwide. Quip even gives you tips on oral care that you probably never knew. Quip is backed by a network of over 10,000 dental professionals, including dentists, hygienists, and dental students. Most toothbrushes don't get named one of Time Magazine's best inventions of the year, but Quip did. Find out why for yourself. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash yogagirl right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electronic toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash yogagirl. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash yogagirl. Sometimes in life, skepticism can serve you well. It can save you money, keep you from wasting a day at a timeshare presentation, and help you avoid spreading gossip. To be honest, when I am faced with a new scenario, I usually tend to be a skeptic until something proves me wrong. And if you're like me, you can probably spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away and read labels like it's your job. That's where Ritual comes in. They know that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. Their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin has high quality, traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. Take two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption and you'll get nine key nutrients. Rituals Essential for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. On top of that, Ritual multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. I take my vitamins every morning with breakfast. It's part of my daily ritual and I feel so good doing it. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash yoga girl. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash yoga girl for 25% off. There's something about that, about that, the idea of this discomfort. And I, I talk about that in class a lot. Like essentially in, in, our, in our asana practice, what we do is we look for these places of discomfort. You know, where do I hold yeah. tension in the body? Where is it hard to dwell and to sit? Like where is the work? Because if we remain right. in that very comfortable practice all the time, we don't evolve. We don't really go anywhere. And I mean, in this, in this way, and so, sometimes, so I have to be yeah, really honest, I'm a really horrible camper. Like I'm a very, <laughs> I'm not like a camping outdoorsy person. I very much enjoy my comfort zone of like my house. Um, and sometimes you see those photos in social media of someone who's sleeping in the back of their van and you see their feet and like a hot mug of coffee and it's just, you know, they're camping somewhere. It looks so beautiful. And then I was mm-hmm. watching your, your film and just the behind all of that, like, the actual yeah. discomfort, you yeah. know, putting yourself through that like, for the purpose of something really great. It, it wouldn't be the same if it wasn't hard, right? If it was, I if totally it was agree. I, you know, and I, and I don't think there's this mindset sometimes. You, you, you really nailed it on the head, Rachel. Is like, there's this mindset sometimes where, like, you know, you don't have to climb the tallest peak or surf the biggest wave or, or do something 
you know, extreme to in any, in any way reach that level of discomfort or, or seek out that unknown. It's, it's, I mean, I've often told people that the, the deepest journey you ever take will be an, an internal one. It'll be the one that forces you to look deep inside yourself and, um, and asks the questions of like, why do I feel this way? Or why do I feel this discomfort? And yoga has been such a good, such a good tool for that because it's forced me to sit in situations where it is uncomfortable and you have to let your mind, you can't let your mind wander and think about something else. You have to kind of sit with it. And, and I guess for me too, what I've realized is that I've been able to kind of relate my experiences in, in yoga and meditation with my experiences out in the field. Um, you know, standing on a beach shivering or sitting in the water freezing and, and it's similar, it's a similar thing. There's not really much difference for me. Like both of them teach me things about myself that I wouldn't learn any other way. And maybe I'm just a stubborn student, definitely am a stubborn student, but I, I love the fact that there's a place I can go in my head and in my body that can, can allow me to learn things about myself. Like, oh, why, why am I holding tension there? Why am I holding tension here? Why do I feel this negativity towards this person or that place or whatever? And you often find that it's an experience you might have had early on in your life that, that could have led you to feel that way and, or, or could have, you know, could have forced you to do that. And I just think, like, that's a part of us becoming uh, more whole, complete people. And it's, it's, you know, people like you that are, are helping folks to kind of come to that place. So it's not always about, you know, like having to live in, you know, the wilderness or in your van or out in the field. I think that, you know, you can have that introspective, deep experience by just every day of your life living normally. You just, you just need to embrace that discomfort, like you said. Definitely. I think there's something slightly dangerous to being too comfortable, right? We start to get a little bored with life. We start to get... Um, you know, boredom and, and, and too much comfort, I think, can, can take us some, some fairly dangerous places. And yes, it's true. We don't have to do crazy things, but um, I don't know. And everybody has yeah. that different, different, different practice. For me, it's always, um, so what scares me a little bit or what do I feel slightly uncomfortable or hesitant to do, maybe in terms of business or, um, I don't know, starting this podcast was one of those things of like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. That seems like a challenging thing to do, but I guess I'm going to try and see if it sticks, <laughs> you know. And now it's my favorite yeah. thing. That's so cool. And then that's like, that's a really cool thing because you, you, you know, you might have never known and, and I, how it would have been if you didn't try. And that's always been a mindset that I've tried to take is like, I, I opened a gallery at one point and I remember being like, oh, this is going to be a stress and it's going to be so gnarly and I'm scared. But I was like, if I don't try this, if I don't do this, I will always wonder what it would have been like. And that to me, like that, that angst, that anger, you know, the, not the anger, just like the, the thought. It, it, that would be worse than any discomfort, right? I feel like. Yes. And so I just, I feel like we always have to kind of push ourselves just to try it. You know, even if you fail, like some of the, some of the best lessons I've learned in life have been from huge failures. And that's like, there's, there's a lot of value. Do you have an example of, a, of something you really put your heart and, and soul into and that didn't work out? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I mean, I have, an ex- I have an experience I can share with you that, that, you know, people, I mean, people probably have heard I me. Mean, some people have probably heard it. Some people probably haven't. But, you know, <clears throat> it's not so much a photograph, 
but it, it was a place. I, I really, when I, when I sort of figured out, I like sort of unlocked the key to like being like, oh, this brings me joy. I want to travel to these remote places, and, and I love the planning process, and I love all these things about it. I'm so excited. Cool, cool. This is what I'm going to do. Um, so I figured that out, and then I started to kind of plan out trips. And, and what I realized is that early on, I wasn't really giving the time to, like, fully plan out these trips. I wasn't dedicating as much energy and time as I do now. I mean, imagine, like, going to teach a, a yoga, like, um, like, a yoga workshop, a three-day workshop, and, like, just kind of winging it, you know? So that, that, that was sort of what it was like. In the beginning of my career, I was like, oh, I'll figure it out. You know, I just sort of started planning and doing everything I could, but I, I wasn't really giving it the time and attention I deserved. And that, that really came to a head for me when I went to Russia on my first trip. And I arrived in the rural, you know, rural uh, eastern Russia and, you know, at Vladivostok, just inside the Sea of Japan. And everybody got off the plane and they, you know, went through customs, one, two, three, four, everybody with me. And they, I finally get to customs, and I, I go up there, and I give them my passport, and they look at me, and they look at my passport, and she just starts pointing at the day on the passport, the visa, and I realized that my visa was two days off. I had, for some reason, even though I had literally, I had, I had applied for everybody's at the same time, mine wasn't the correct day. And so I was interrogated for six hours, and they decided what to do, and then I was, I was basically put into a jail cell for a day, 24 hours, and then deported to Korea after that. And so I was, I spent this time in the cell and it was a totally humbling experience because I'd never had my rights stripped from me like that. Like I was totally overwhelmed. Um, and, and as much anger as I felt and as much, you know, whatever, like I, I, and it was kind of a, you know, gnarly experience. I just like realized that this was my fault. Like there's nobody else to blame. I, mm-hmm. you travel in hopes that you're going to become this better person, this like different person, right? Um, but what ends up typically happening is that you you don't realize that that process of becoming someone better it usually starts before you leave your front door. Like it starts when you plan this out. It starts when you when you kind of give the time and dedicate the time to learn the customs and the language and and to learn all the little nitty gritty details that go into planning. And so I had kind of I just skipped all that and I thought I could do this on my own and I. I just, I, yeah, I made a mistake, and it was a bummer. And so that's, that was a really big eye-opening experience to have in your early 20s. What an amazing, amazing story to be able to tell, too. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, kind of happy. I mean, and it's about that intention in it, too. I mean, yeah, are you a better planner now? Are you really, 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 I mean, I can only imagine the time that goes into these trips before you actually um, step on the plane. Yeah, you know, nowadays I feel like I dedicate so much time to planning. I mean, so much time to planning. Um, it's, a, it's a challenging experience because I'm, I'm, I guess I've, I've kind of uh, teetered the other way where I'm a little more, I'm a lot more meticulous, like every little detail has to be figured out and stuff. Um, but, you know, there is, there is always an element of unknown and that's important for trips. Like you can't, you can't figure out everything and I really like look forward to embracing those experiences where just something comes out of the blue and you have to figure it out. But yeah, it taught me a lot. You know, it also just taught me how to appreciate people's customs more. And, and it, you know, it opened my eyes to the world, you know, a lot because this is, that was an experience that I don't really wish on anyone, nor do I, um, nor do I uh, feel like anybody needs to experience if they just spent the time and energy to like 
think through the places that they're going to go. Right, right. Actually, I, I've had a similar experience, but within the U.S., which a lot of people that are from the United really? States don't know what it's like to travel to the United States on a foreign passport I, I or a foreign visa. I hear it's terrible. It's awful. It's awful. And I don't know, I had this thing where I, I guess I visited a country that was flagged by the U.S. Customs for some reason. Um, so every time I gave any customs official my passport, they would put me in a room. And I would have like anything from yeah. strip search to, yeah, I was stuck also for hours and hours. And I couldn't figure it out. And it kept happening again and again. And I was so angry about it that in the end, I started harboring this resentment toward the entire continental U.S. <laughs> like, oh. I was actually so frustrated about traveling to the States that I'm like, oh, my God, this country, they don't want me here. What's what's wrong? And then one day uh, it happened again and I was traveling through the States somewhere else. And I asked this official, this, this customs guy, I said, what is wrong with me? I said, every time I pass through, you stop me for whatever reason. What is wrong? What am I doing wrong? I don't want to deal with this shit anymore. And he looked yeah. me up and down <laughs> and he said, he said, well, you don't really look like the type of person who stays out of trouble. And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? He says, well, like you have dreads in your hair. You're a little too tan for a blonde girl. Like you clearly show up with this attitude of like, you don't give a shit. He's like, and that's a flag for me that, that you have this attitude. No so maybe you should check that. And I was like, Oh my God, he's a hundred percent. Right. Like I'm showing up with this, you know, like I'm kind of inviting this energy of like, Oh my God, I don't trust you people. So they don't trust me. So it was, I don't know. It was a big learning for me of, okay, how am I showing up when I arrive in the U.S.? And then I changed some stuff so and I softened a little bit. Yes, I put my hair up and then <laughs> they, stopped, they stopped flagging me, which was, which was really good. But yeah, learning yeah. different cultures is a, whole, is a whole thing. You are listening to From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. How much easier would it be if we just called things for what they were? My skin recently discovered the most nourishing, goopy goodness that has ever been applied to it. Well, guess what this goop is called? Goop. <laughs> goop is my new favorite skincare ritual, and not just because of the name. The list of harmful ingredients that are present in most skincare products out there is alarming, but Goop steers clear of all of them. Other companies still test their products on innocent animals, but Goop never, ever tests on animals. Goop founder Gwyneth Paltrow has finally delivered the skincare product we have all been searching for. If you're looking to set your skin up for a good day and take your own morning ritual to the next level, the Goop by Juice Beauty Exfoliating Instant Facial does exactly what it sounds like it should. It instantly brightens and softens your skin to reveal your glowing, smoother-looking complexion. To follow up, the enriching face oil sinks in instantly so it's never greasy and turbocharges any moisturizer that you lay on top. Goop is much more than a skincare product. It's a lifestyle brand rooted in inspiration that spans travel, food, beauty, style, work, and wellness. Check out goop.com to inspire your lifestyle in beautiful new ways. Go online to goop.com slash yoga girl to get these beauty products and many, many more. That's goop.com slash yoga girl. Goop.com slash yoga girl. A question that came in, uh, a couple of people asked me to ask you was, um, when you're on the road so much, especially when you encounter these stressful scenarios, because of course traveling, it's not all rainbows and, and butterflies as everybody knows. No, Do you have any I specific... wish it was. <laughs> I wish sometimes I had like a little telepathic or, you know, that I could just teleport myself places, especially oh, now yeah. with a baby. 
yeah. babies and travel are like oil and water, I find. Um, but do you have any practices that you always do on the road or that you take with you to help you stay grounded, especially in challenging travel situations? That's, I think that's a great that's a great question. And and what I find is that everybody has kind of their own thing. For me, it's really about like what I do before I leave. Like you know what I've, I've realized and I'm sure you have too is that if you if you don't take time for yourself um, you, you can't really give you can't really give a hundred percent of yourself to anyone so for me it, it's hard because before I leave on a trip I want to spend time with my kids my, my two boys I want to spend time with my wife I want to spend time at the office to get everything sorted out but I also have to make time for me and so I'm, there's been a lot of trips where I've kind of um, I've been so wrapped up in the planning and the this and the that that I, I don't get a chance to go out and surf or go out and climb or, or go do yoga. And, and, and I find that I, I always have to dedicate a little time for myself before I leave. And so that alone helps a lot. And, I, I, you know, some of the trips that I do, are they're ridiculously long. I mean, I had two, two trips that were 26 days um, this last year. Um, two, and it was, it was brutal. I mean, it was so challenging. And so I find that for me... Um, one of the things that really helps me is just is trying to control what I eat. Um, and, and I'm not saying like control, like, you know, like really, really, you know, hamper down. Like I'm, I'm an opportunist. And so when I'm, when I'm usually home, I'm vegetarian, vegan, um, about 99% of the time. And when I travel, it's more of an opportunarian situation where like I, I eat what's available, but I really try to eat as healthy as possible. And so I find that if I eat healthy and the more healthy I eat, it just puts me in a better mindset. So, I do little things, like if I'm going to be in Vancouver or New York for a couple of days, um, you know, this Monday I travel to New York and then I travel to Vancouver and then I go to New Zealand. And so I'm already doing a little bit of planning to be like, well, where's a good yoga studio in New York? Where's a good, where's a good vegan restaurant? And, you know, where's a good climbing gym? And so I, already have, I have all those mapped out. So if I have time and time presents itself, I'm going to, I'm going to do that while I'm there. Um, and what I always find is that we get these windows of time where we have a bit of free time for ourselves and we just don't know what to do. So I've kind of started like, you know, my, I have a Google map and there's like stars all over the world of just like, oh, there's a great restaurant here and there's a great this here. And I feel like once you kind of do that and you start to tap into those communities, that's really helpful. I also find that like I'm not a big runner, but finding myself going for a run, even if it's a mile or two, is really helpful. Going for a walk, um, it, give, it gives you the lay of the land and it calms down your mind. Um, other than that, I think that, you know, the music that you listen to, I kind of have a, I'm, I'm a creature of habit, Rachel, you should know that. So when I travel, it's like, I usually listen to the same songs on the plane. I have like a great, like, it's, we call it the yoga playlist, but it's really just like really relaxing music that, um, that me and my wife love. And so, um, I have a playlist that like I usually listen to and it really calms me down and, and allows me to kind of think. Um, and so I listen to that on the plane. Um, when I'm in a hotel room and I have trouble sleeping, I listen to that. Um, and I have this, I, don't, I have all these like weird tips things. Like, so I do this one thing where I have like a, um, say you're in a hotel room and hotel rooms can be a little stale sometimes. They're, they're a little, not plasticky. They just, they just kind of feel like everything's clean and it doesn't smell like your own thing. So <clears throat> I always bring this like one cotton shirt from home. And what I usually do is I, I put the cotton shirt over my pillow, like a, like a pillowcase. And so when I lay my head down at night, I, I smell sort of like familiar smells from home, you know. Um, hmm. And, and that, that's just something that like calms me down because I, 
I have a hard time sleeping in, in various places. And so those are all little aspects of what I do. I mean, I have obviously my own yoga practice meditation that I try to do. Um, sometimes the Wim, Wim Hof method has been a really beneficial breathing technique for just like really getting you to a place of like relaxation. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that any of those can be really helpful. The more sense of community you can find on the road, the, the healthier you're going to be. That's such great advice. I love how specific your advice is too, because sometimes people just say, oh, you know, take deep breaths or realize just go with the flow, but this is actual things people can, can really use. I find that the like, smell no, yeah, is a really steal, big thing. Like bring a cotton shirt from home and make your own pillow. I always burn uh, Palo Santo, and I know you're not supposed to do this in hotel rooms, like you're not supposed to have open flames and whatnot, but I always do it when I come into a new I hotel room. Totally I burn a little too. Palo Santo. Yeah. Because then it's, you know, it's, it's familiar. It's, it's so true. And the community aspect of it, I think, is so important. You know, because if you keep traveling to the same places and you actually can make a network of community that you then can connect with from wherever you are, it's a really beautiful Yeah. Thing. But yeah, what about people, leaving? People are critical, you know, like you said, like, you know, going somewhere and being able to connect with a similar person that you've seen months ago or, you know, going out to get food with somebody or going out to, you know, exercise or whatever, like that, that really, I think helps us, you know, we're, we're creatures that are meant to be together. So I think that's always been a good, a really healthy thing to do as well. Yes. But what about, yeah, the other side of that? So, so what's it like spending so much time away from your family? How many, how many travel days do you have every year? That's such, that's honestly the hardest thing ever. And, and honestly, I don't even know the amount of travel days because certain years, like, I can't really be like, oh, I'm going to put a cap on it. You know, I'm only going to travel, you know, 50 days this year, or 60 days this year. Um, last year was probably the most I've ever traveled in my entire life. And it wasn't because I wanted to, but it was because I had certain things I had to see through. I had my film that we toured across the world and I wanted, I promised myself that I would dedicate the time to really see this through. And so I've I've always been a fan of like, if you're going to do a project, like really do it hundred percent. And, um, it is the most challenging thing. And I, you know, it's funny cause you know, to really help answer this question, you know, my, my wife should really be the one to, to kind of give, give her opinion and advice. But I found a couple like tips and tricks that really help in sort of the relationship aspect of traveling that, um, that I think people might be interested in. And one of the things that I would suggest, you know, cause I, you know, I've, I've been married for 10 years. Um, I met my wife in high school. She, you know, when I was a junior in high school, we've, we've known each other for 14 years and for, for literally like, like I've, I've known her almost longer than I've been alive um, or, or, or twice as long, right. Or whatever. So, um, so, or longer than I have, but she, she, me and her, we, we communicate a lot. And I found that communication is, is absolutely, it's the root of everything. And if there's one thing that we've noticed is that, when you text people, it is so hard to truly understand the, the, the tone of the voice, the cadence, the, how someone's feeling. You know, I don't think that texting is a, is a super natural way to communicate. And so what we try to do is we try to limit the amount of texting we do when we're on the road um, and just keep it to small talk and then, and then just find the time to talk on the phone. You know, and, and ultimately, um, you know, even if it's a couple of seconds or a minute or something, just to hear someone's tone of voice and to hear what they're going through and to understand them. And that, I think that saves a lot of arguments and <laughs> that saves us, hmm. that saves a lot of miscommunications. Um, and then, you know, with kids, 
if, you know, one of the things that's critical is like, if I always realize if I get home and my kids ask me, where, where were you? Then I've already failed, right? Like they, they should know where I am and they should know because I should be actively engaged in making them feel a part of the experience. So when I was in India, you know, I'm taking pictures of, of monkeys and snakes and, and I'm sending it to my son, I'm sending him videos so he can be excited about what I'm doing because he, that's what he loves. He loves animals. And I'm, I'm making sure that I have, I'm, I'm doing my best to keep cell service when I can um, or I have a sat phone so that I can make a call when I'm out of service, right? And just check in. I mean, those things, they, they, they're expensive at times, but I think that they're worth it for keeping the family engaged. And, and I love being able to feel in some way like they're involved. Um, and, and it's not really about so much bringing toys back or bringing gifts back. I think that, I think that allowing them to feel like they were on that journey with you in some way is really important. So for me, those are usually like kind of my go-to things that I really try to do. And it's not always perfect, you know, and it, it's still really hard, but that makes a big difference to me. Hmm. And as it is right now, do you, like, do you have a good balance here? Are you gonna? Do you have a goal where next year you want to travel a little less, or everything is? is... Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it is a I mean, goal. This, okay. Yeah, <laughs> this year I want to travel way less. I want to. Um, I'm, I'm trying to just just only take on the jobs that I really am excited about doing, and I'm trying to be a lot more conscious about what I say yes to. And ultimately, um, you know, I started the year off at home. I, I was I was home through Christmas and and the holidays, and I I, I I'm home till. Um, you know, next Monday, and then I have to take off for for a period of time. But, but yeah, I mean, that's the goal. I want to spend more time with the family, and and I think that like if I lock down some like family trips, it really helps me to keep that schedule open. Because the tendency, and I'm sure for you too, as an entrepreneur, it's like you just want to fill up any holes in your schedule with work because that's how you make a living, you know. And I'm I'm kind of the same way. It's like I want to like stay busy because. Um, but, but I've realized that, you know, staying busy and being busy, it's not like a badge of honor. It doesn't really do anything for you. Being busy just means you don't have time for the things you want to do, you know? So it's a, it's a mindset thing. It it, it really is. I was having this conversation uh, with a a happiness researcher the other day that I'm going to have on the podcast in a couple of weeks. Um, And we were talking talking about the idea of of, of happiness and the importance of resting and how that it's it's such a huge component. That's like one of the things that have been scientifically proven that if you don't rest and restore your ability to feel joyful and, you know, happy about the little things in life, it becomes much harder. So then I, I was saying something. I said, oh, well, I know I really deserve to rest because I did this and that and I had a thousand retreats this year and travel. And then he said, well, right there, that whole idea is what's wrong with Western society is that we have to deserve to take a break. Like we have to work really hard and then we allow ourselves to be home and do nothing or rest. But it's actually human nature that we should rest because it's part of being human. You know, we don't have to deserve it. We just can rest because we want to. And that was a big right, eye-opener right. for me because I always feel like, oh, I can take a break. I deserve one because I have to work really hard first. But it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Do you find that you still have that challenge of, like, learning to, to when, when to say no and, like, when to say yes? Like, have you, have you been able to create better boundaries with yourself about, um, about accepting work and, and sort of turning down work and stuff like that? I mean, it's so hard. 
I, I have to say, since having the baby and simply because <laughs> traveling the, with the baby is not something that I want to do a lot, <laughs> no, <laughs> um, so I find myself saying no more. Yes. And people told me, oh, it's so easy to travel with her, especially when she's little. It's horrible. It's horrifying. It's yeah. the worst. I, I don't know, I know why people would tell me that. <laughs> Do you guys travel uh, with the with the boys a lot too? We sometimes, you know, it was it was it was easier with one, but even one was not easy at all. Two becomes like really challenging, <laughs> but I, we're lucky because they're getting to that age where it's easier. But it's so it's so funny, like you know, growing up, um, you know, I, I I just I don't think that I had as much. Res- I, I didn't have an understanding at all. You know, I grew up and I'd fly on planes. And I'd see these moms with, with kids and, and dads or, or single parents and you just you're just kind of annoyed you're like oh man the baby's crying in the back of the plane and then I had my own kids and I was like I have so much respect for any man or woman who has a child on a plane at all like I just like like my utmost sympathy you know like I'm like get, take my seat whatever you need because once yes. you know what that's like you're just like oh oh gosh I'm so sorry and and it, it totally changes your perspective because you just, you know that you can have like a, an amazing, you know, baby who's just like totally peaceful and, and they can just be having a bad day and planes like really affect them, you know? Um, and that's, that's a hard thing to deal with sometimes. So I don't know. Yes. I, 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 I don't know how you. people do it. I, I follow some people in social media who travel with, with babies and that's just what they do, like traveling families and stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, to me, that, that seems like the hardest, the hardest endeavor of all, actually. So I know, I know it, this yeah. has affected everything for me, how I plan out my business and my work and, and trips and all of this, because I want to be home with the baby as much as possible, you know, right. until, no, un- totally. until she can communicate with me, you know, if she's upset yeah. <laughs> and not scream for 12 right. hours straight on a cross-Atlantic flight. <laughs> it's just not it's worth it. It's such a heart. It's so, you're so true. It's it's so hard, you know. But that's one of the beautiful things that we kind of get to learn how to how to manage, you know. Like it teaches us a lot about ourselves as well. I feel like, um, you know, having having a kid, and, 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 and that's been a huge eye opener for me. Like it's changed the way that I do everything. So I'm, I'm sure that for you, it's, it's really helped you evolve as a person as well. Oh, it is, it is. And I and I find that I try to really take the learning from the hardest things. I feel like she. She shows me every area where I'm lacking, where I struggle, you know, little personality traits that I have that are difficult. You know, she pushes all those buttons so that I can learn how to become a better person. I really think that that's, that's what it is, parenting. It's just wow. evolving into, into something even greater, I, I think. You are listening to From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. It's well known that adding more fruits and vegetables into your diet is super important, but it's not always an easy thing to do. When it comes to eating more fruits and veggies, there's a no-brainer, no-stress choice. Get all of your superfoods super fast with Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest delivers perfectly portioned frozen superfood eats straight to your door with your choice of smoothies, soups, breakfast bowls, or plant-based sundaes. Delivery and prep are super easy and straightforward. Just place the single-serving cups in your freezer until you're hungry 
and then add water, maybe coconut or almond milk for extra creaminess, and then blend or heat. Smoothies are ready in 30 seconds, soups in 5 minutes, and overnight oats and chia parfaits are literally made while you sleep. Each cup is made from a yummy blend of fruits, veggies, and nutrients, always perfectly complemented with a superfood boost. Produce from Daily Harvest is organic and unrefined, and it looks as amazing as it tastes. You can actually see the whole ingredients when you open up the cup. Things like cacao nibs, chunks of mango, whole raspberries, pumpkin seeds, and coconut meat. Daily Harvest works closely with local farmers across the U.S. and freezes all ingredients at peak freshness to seal in the maximum nutritional value unlike other fruits and veggies that are picked and packaged long before the nutritional peak. Daily Harvest is the fastest, most convenient way to up your fruit and vegetable intake without having to put in the work that usually comes with eating more fruits and vegetables. Go check it out for yourself. For all my U.S. listeners, go to daily-harvest.com and enter the promo code YOGAGIRL to get three items for free in your first box. That's promo code YOGAGIRL for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. Daily dashharvest.com um, I want to ask another question that uh, that someone sent in through social media and this is I think maybe will spark a bigger conversation I don't know how much time we have but about nature preservation and activism which I know is something that you're, you're super Absolutely. passionate about yeah um, specifically you know, that's, that's a great question Yes, I mean, someone or a few people wrote in about um, the national monuments in Utah that were uh, reduced mm-hmm. by the president of the United States just, I don't know, mm-hmm. a couple, couple of months ago, uh, which is the largest rollback of federal land protection ever to happen in the history of, of, of your country. And right. I guess, uh, I guess the, the, the question is, what can a normal, regular person, maybe who isn't a politician and who maybe doesn't even you know, have the ability to travel a lot, uh, what can we as regular human beings and citizens do to help protect, um, to protect Mother Earth? I mean, wherever we live, it doesn't have to be... That's a, you know, that's a great, that's a great question. And, you know, it's something I've, I've, I've put a lot of thought into. Um, and, I, and I guess the way I see, you know, the whole Bears Ears National Monument situation is it's, in many ways it's kind of a, it's a cautionary tale. Because what's done is done, and at this point, I guess for me, I'm, I'm, you know, I think that in some way trying to fight against what already happened is, is probably not. And what happened there? So for anyone not, who's listening well, who doesn't know, yeah, this I mean, was a big deal. Essentially, yeah, it's a really big deal. Essentially, uh, President Obama, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, he put, he he turned this really really large area. Um, I'm, I'm just summarizing here. Um, they turned this really large area in, in southern Utah. Into a uh, into a national monument, and by giving it national monument status, it protects it from certain things. Like um, it protects it from certain things, um, and it, but at the same time, it also limits certain things that can be done. So there's it's a really complicated issue because there's certain aspects where you know some of the towns near this national monument um, they they uh, they kind of started to like really deplete and sort of die off because. Um, because there's certain activities that couldn't go on there. And so it affects people living there. Um, but then at the same time, you know, it, it protects these places for potential drilling and potential, um, you know, having their resources um, used um, and, and sold off and, and stuff like that. So I'm just summarizing. But ultimately, um, th- I think the key thing is that it's really, to me, about what the, what the uh, indigenous people wanted most and uh, what, they, what they were lobbying for. And, um, you know, the, the tribes that came together to protect Bears Ears, this was, this was their hope that it would stay as a national monument. And this basically is the first time um, 
the Antiquities Act is, is, was designed to allow, um, allow places to be, to be put under protection. And this is the first time that it's ever been used to actually remove a national monument status. So people, are, people are on both sides of the coin are really um, in uproar because some people feel like it's illegal, some people feel like it's not. It's definitely something that people haven't experienced before because this has never been done. Um, and, it, and it's a really complicated issue because the thing is, is that the hardest part of it is that it, it sort of forces people to rely on good faith that if it's a national monument or it isn't, um, you know, if it stayed, if it stayed as it was, this beautiful open access area to everybody, that would be great. But the fear is that since it's not a national monument anymore, that basically this land is going to be subdivided and sold off to the highest bidder, and that could be used for mining or oil or something along those lines. And, and that is kind of essentially what I think might happen. It's a, it's, a, it's a really big fear for everybody, and, and it's a really scary scenario. And to me, I guess I've tried to look at this as like, I personally, as an as a everyday human who just really tries to uh, leverage my voice on social media, I, I think that in many ways it's an eye-opener because I knew about Bears Ears for years. I knew about it um, from climbing out there, and it's a really beautiful, special area. And there's a lot of people that knew about it. And one of the things that's kind of blown my mind is that in the last you know, two months, six months, there's been this huge rallying behind Bears Ears, huge like, support. Everybody's, you know, go to Bears Ears, go to Bears Ears, protect Bears Ears. You know, where was that support two years ago? You know, I feel like in some way we missed our opportunity to share with the world how beautiful this place was. And by doing so, we didn't gather the support we needed. And this kind of brings me to just, I'm just trying to provoke a thought here that social media has this amazing tool to enable us to share with people places that we love and places that we fear losing, right? But at the same time, if we're always so busy protecting places um, for our own use and, and not sharing them, you know, um, then, then they can be put into a situation where maybe maybe we, we want more people to know about these places. Maybe we want their stories to be told. And so for me, I guess I've always tried to use social media as a way, I don't really want to be the person ever to tell people what to vote for, to tell people what, to, what they should care about. That's not my place. I'd rather share with you what I fear losing and what I love most in hopes that you will go and experience it yourself and form your own opinion. And I think that that's one of the best ways conservation can really work. Because here's the harsh reality is that as much as we want to talk about climate change, as much as we want to talk about glaciers melting, and I've seen it firsthand, it's, it's, it's absolutely, it's, it makes me like weep inside, it's terrible. There are kids in rural Africa and people in China who are never going to care about things like that that they're never going to experience, you're never going to see, right? And I'm just being honest, like you can't force people to care about things that they aren't going to experience. So why are we talking about things like climate change and how it affects the glaciers when that's creating politically more of a, a wall than a bridge, right? It's not uniting us, it's dividing us. And so when I think about climate change, I think about what affects everybody globally, you know, smog and polluted water and, you know, the air we breathe. That's something that everybody universally can, universally can really relate to. And so I think that I just want to find ways to create more bridges and, and less walls and, 
and ultimately unite both sides by speaking a language that both understand. Uh, and I think when it comes to Bears Ears, I would just hope that in the future, when there's that place that you care about and you love, but you want people to support and rally behind, like, I think that the effort should have been made a long time ago. And I think that it's a little bit of a, a bummer because had we have had the support we needed, we might not be in this situation. And had more people known about it, we might not have been in this situation. But it's that classic thing where, you know, we don't want to see places get overcrowded or overused. But at the same time, you can't expect people to, to care about a place, to want to preserve a place that they never experience. If they don't know it, yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I know this. I know this so well. And it's uh, living on a tiny island the way I do here in Aruba. It's, it's something that comes up yeah, every single week when someone asks, "So where should I go experience the most beautiful part right. of Aruba?" And I have my little gems, you know, that I love because right. they are so quiet, and because you know, no one, no one ever goes there. Uh, and we see it really quickly here. If there's a deserted beach or a little quiet place or a cave, and then it yeah. kind of gets out that there's a gem. And unfortunately, what we see, which is super sad, is, is that there's a lot of tourists that come and they will litter and leave behind plastic. Um, right. And it kind of creates this, this, this me messy thing. So I, I, I can understand the, the decision of wanting to not speak total, of things. Yeah, you're torn. You're totally torn because you don't know what to do. And you don't know whether to share it with people or to kind of hold it, hold it dear to your heart. And I, I struggle with that, too. And one thing that they did at Bears Years was there's a really awesome group um, I'm blanking on the name, but um, there's a friend of mine who put it together that they, they raised a Kickstarter to fund a, uh, uh, basically a, um, like a welcome center there so that people that come there know how to treat it and know how, where to hike and where to go because, because until now there ha there's nothing there that can educate people on like how, how to sort of protect the land, right? So that's kind of a, this is kind of a more That's a great, example, great but, point. Yeah. Yeah. There was an initiative just like that that a few friends of us started here. So here we have these beautiful dunes, huge, big, sandy dunes that are uh, birds come to nest there and, and turtles will come up to lay their eggs. And it's, it's a really beautiful, sacred space. And then these tourists will come to the island and they rent ATVs and they go across the dunes and kind of destroy these really beautiful sanctuaries for animals. Oh. And there's a lot of wow. anger in the community. Why are these people coming here and doing this? But then, you know, people don't know. There's no information anywhere. There's right. no sign. There is no, you know, information center about how to behave in these sort of protected areas. Um, so now right. they created them and now people know. And it, it created a really big, you know, without yeah. information, we can't really make that change because I don't think anyone sets I, out to be an asshole, you know. It's just... <laughs> I, I totally agree. And, that, and that's the hardest thing is like, you can't blame people for, for things they don't know. And I've, I've been in that, I've been in that situation. I've been in I've been in your shoes and I've been the asshole. Like I've been in both. And I just, I, I think this is why um, for all of us, you know, we should strive to be a traveler and not a tourist and somebody that comes to places with respect for the land. And, you know, it's okay to make mistakes, but ultimately the goal is you should, you should do your best to learn, um, learn what you can do to, to just be, a, be more efficient in the future and to be, to be kind of a, um, a greater steward of the landscape. And so I've, I've had to learn the hard way many times, and it's, it's kind of like where I'm at in my career now. I, I'm really trying to do a better job. Hmm, I love that. Be a traveler, not a tourist. That's a great... <laughs> you should trademark that. That's a, that would make an awesome T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. Not a tourist. I, I love that. Yeah. 
Okay, I'm going to end with a really hard question, or I think it's a really hard question. Uh-huh. I'm, not, I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, okay. But I love it. Let's see. So your all-time favorite photograph you've ever taken. So if you would imagine a scenario where all the hard drives you own, all the disks, all the clouds, all the storage of every photo you've ever taken, everything would go up into smoke, and you could only mm-hmm. rescue one photograph, what would it be? You know, it's, it's funny because I, I feel like in many ways it's, 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 it has to be just this one picture. And it, it just because uh, as much as I love all of the others, and when people always ask me, what's your favorite photo you've taken? I'm usually like, it was the last one I took because it's the one that I was, is the most visceral to me. It's the one that's the most like real, you know, and, mm. and it's the one that I feel the most. But, but, but the reality is if I was, had to choose one, um, there is an image of... Um, that I shot in um, Alaska, remote Alaska, and I, I fell in love with this location. And I think what, be, what made it such a valuable photo, it's a, it's a picture of a surfer on a wave, and there's a, there's a big, massive, perfect volcano on it, behind him. And the juxtaposition of the two, you, know, you have this beautiful wave and this huge volcano, and it's, you can tell it's somewhere remote, really out there, right? Um, I mean, that... That to me is like that's the perfect photograph. It, it sums up everything I love about the natural world and and my my um, affinity for surfing and um, but it's how it came together. You know, we the, the amount of research, you know, years and years of, of research and trying to get to these remote islands and finally finding access. You know, we found a guy who was who was willing to let us stay in his house there and uh, we, we we rented the plane that got us there and. You know, we got to this island, and it was like I've never felt more harsh conditions, more brutal wind um, in my entire life. And ultimately, like, we sat through, you know, one of the, the biggest storms ever, and it's, these, it's called the Aleutian Islands, these islands off the coast of Alaska. And th- this place has been given the name the Cradle of Storms because it literally, like, like you'd hold your baby, it cradles storms. It holds them in and doesn't let them go. So it is known for like having about as bad of conditions as you can get. And when I was researching it, you know, we couldn't really find any beautiful photos of volcanoes or beaches. It was like 50 shades of gray, you know, just fog and, and you know, just rain. And, and I was, when we arrived there, I was really worried that we weren't going to see anything. We weren't even going to see the sun. And we had this one morning where it was just so clear and frost was outside and it was, it was it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful morning. I'll never forget it. And getting to the beach, I just, I still can't, I can't forget that feeling of seeing, you know, the clouds part and this volcano just come out. And it was like, I knew right at that moment, I was like, this is why you go through all this. Like, I don't even care what photograph I get today. Like just being able to see that and know that it's there gave me so much like hope and, and fulfillment. And, I guess I think that that photograph to me, you know, as a photographer, as a creative, you know, even as a yoga teacher, you experience this. It is really hard to feel validated in your work. It's hard for any creative, especially younger ones, to, to feel that, like, pat on the back, you know. And I've learned that you can't rely on other people to give that to you. You have to get to a place where it's the photographs and the work that you do that gives you the validation you need. And that was one of those moments where I was like, all right, like, this is it. This is the validation that I needed. This is, I know that I'm doing the right thing because this wouldn't have presented itself 
to me or to anybody without the effort and the energy that I put in. And this is a this is a vision worth savoring. And so that photograph is it just sums it up. It's everything. And uh <laughs> and I, I I really love it. So yeah. I I have to see this photograph. <laughs> Yeah, I'll send, I'm picturing, I'll it, picturing it in my mind. Yeah. Send it to me, and then I'll I'll use it to uh, to post on social media when the podcast is out. Oh, that would be such be a perfect so, that'd loop. That'd be so cool. It's it's so great to chat with you, and thank you so much for taking the time. I, I know you're busy, and and you have a lot going on, and it's it's a it's a real honor to be a part of this, and just to watch your progression. Like I I remember you know those years ago, like ha being in that class with you, just like in awe of how like. Uh, well thought out of a teacher you were and, and now to kind of see you embark on this is, is really cool. Storytelling is like one of the best things that we can pass on so I'm, I'm grateful to be a part of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and a huge thanks to my guest, Chris Burkhardt. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of From the Heart Conversations with Yoga Girl. You can find all of them on rachelbraithen.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you normally get your podcasts. And of course, don't forget to leave a review while you are there. Thanks to the people at Cadence 13 for their production work. And of course, thanks to all of my sponsors, Quip, Goop, and Daily Harvest. Please support them the way they support this podcast. I'll see you next week.